We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is week 15 of this 2022 NFL season, and for the 5-8 and eight Cleveland Browns, they will play host to the 9-4 and four division-leading Baltimore Ravens on Saturday, the 17th. Mark your calendars accordingly. It is a 4.30 kickoff. Matter of fact, back-to-back Saturdays, the 17th and Christmas Eve, the Ravens will play. So a little bit of a, a different schedule here as we make our way towards the final month of the regular season and, of course, postseason league-wide in the NFL as well. Welcome into the Ravens Vault. I'm Bobby Trossett alongside my partner and co-host, Sarah Ellison. We're getting you ready for this matchup. We have a one-on-one conversation for the Cleveland perspective from ESPN's Jake Trotter coming up in just a matter of moments. But partner, we know how AFC North play is this time of year, right? It's basically, hey, flip a coin, close your eyes, and let's see what happens. It's going to be hard fought. It's going to be ugly. There will be bloodshed. And even though Cleveland is not yet mathematically out of the postseason race, they don't have a ton to play for these days. Deshaun Watson will be making his just third start since coming back from that long suspension. And that's just one of the many storylines going into this one. 0.4% chance of making the playoffs, the Browns do. But I think they are going to get up for this game. I think that... With Deshaun Watson, as you said, only being there three games, they want to prove that they have something going forward. Uh, I think they would love to play spoilers to a rival. We all know how much Cleveland hates Baltimore, still feel like they they stole the franchise, you know, from Cleveland, all of that. So they'll get up for it. And, you know, Cleveland isn't a great team. And yet... It's always wild finishes, it feels like. I just am thinking of, you know, Lamar having to go in and get an IV. Most people prefer to think he went to the bathroom, (laughs) comes back out, hits Hollywood Brown. I I remember, you know, a blocked uh, field goal, I think it was, and returned for a uh, touchdown to win in like the last second of the game. It's just always crazy. And so you can't take a win against Cleveland, uh, you know, for granted, and you can't just expect it. And so, and at the same time, the Ravens have really no breathing room with the Bengals just breathing down the neck, their necks. They've got the same record. And so this is an important game. It's an important game. You're going into it 
for the most part, healthy, except for one big glaring omission, which is Lamar Jackson. He has not practiced since getting knocked out of that Broncos game. And so it's going to be, it's an important game, but you got to do it without your starter. And hopefully everybody can rally around Tyler Huntley again and, and bring him away, but it will not be easy. We'll cover a lot of what you just referenced throughout the course of the next hour or so, including Tyler Huntley's latest when it comes to the concussion protocol a Patrick Queen apology form that we discussed in one of the morning vaults this week. Brown's injury situation at the linebacker slot uh, in position. And what's going on with Mark Andrews in terms of the opponent's defensive game plan. That and so much more coming up. But first, let's toss to our one-on-one conversation with the aforementioned ESPN's Jake Trotter. He is Jamison Hensley's equivalent. We had Brooke Pryor on from Pittsburgh last week so we're covering good ground here he's as plugged in as anyone when it comes to brown's knowledge and here's our conversation all right jake well thank you for joining us and just to start off can you take us through so far the return of deshaun watson and kind of first the reaction from fans in the football world and then secondly how he's looked and impacted the offense you got to go back to the houston game uh his first game back in 700 days kind of a surreal scene You know, early on, while he was warming up, you know, there really weren't very many fans in the stadium at all, like just maybe a couple hundred. Uh, And most of them in there at the time, you know, were clamoring for his autograph, not just Browns fans, but Texans fans as well. And, you know, he at one point, you know, took a break from his warmups, was, you know, signing autographs and taking selfies. And then the game started and, and the stadium filled up a little bit. It was only half full. Um, you know, the Texans are awful. It was a very apathetic crowd otherwise. But before every snap, there were, you know, this cascade of boos coming down. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Wow. Because the, the crowd wasn't really into the game. And there were a lot of Browns fans there. And it was like the only time the crowd really showed any kind of emotion or reaction was just to boo Deshaun Watson before every snap. Uh, you know, he obviously played terribly in that game. They won because they scored a special teams touchdown and two defensive touchdowns. And, you know, Texans are the worst team in the league. Uh, You know, he came back against Cincinnati and played better. Um, You know, I think here in Cleveland, there's kind of a sentiment that he looked like Joe Montana against the Bengals. But I think people are viewing it through the prism of, you know, the lens of the Houston performance and not of a guy making $230 million. It'll be interesting to see when that flips. You know, probably not until the 2023 season. Uh, and now that the Browns are basically eliminated from playoff contention at five and eight, I guess the season really is only about, you know, acclim- reacclimating the, the Deshaun Watson for 2023. Well, that's where I was going next, Jake, because let's say they are eliminated this Sunday, whether it's from a loss or elsewhere around the AFC. What is the plan moving forward? I mean, for the next few weeks, are they going to treat it as preseason, if you will, or will they go back to Jacoby? No, I mean, they're going to stick with Deshaun Watson no matter what. Um, You know, their goal is to get him as many reps as possible. I mean, that's really been their MO from the beginning. I mean, even when it became apparent that Watson was going to be suspended, you know, he was still getting all the first-team reps in training camp. And, and, you know, Jacoby kind of got off to a slow start this season, played really well overall, but got, got off to a slow start. I think part of it was because he didn't get a lot of work in training camp because the, the focus was Deshaun Watson. So that's going to continue to be the focus. Um, I don't know 
you know, I don't know, you know, how the rest of the team is going to react to uh, being mathematically eliminated, especially given the expectations for this franchise right now. I mean, they're built to win now. And, uh, you know, if they lose Saturday to go to five at nine, I mean, I, you know, you, you wonder at that point, uh, you know, guy's going to be shut down. The guy's going to check out mentally, uh, you know, who knows, but really, you know, from an organizational viewpoint, it's all about trying to get Deshaun Watson as much practice and, 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 and as many snaps as possible in games so that when 2023 comes around, you know, he can start to earn the second year of that $230 million contract. I mean, he's making 44, $45 million guaranteed this year, you know, to play in basically, you know, four meaningless games plus two other games uh, that they split. Yeah, I think uh, Steve Bashotti is still bitter <laughs> about that contract there as it's kind of thrown a wrench yeah. in things with the, the, the you know, negotiations with Lamar Jackson. I mean, it is crazy, $45 million for these games. But, but speaking of, of playoff chances, I, I think the official number is like 0.4% chance, but I saw that you tweet a quote from Miles Garrett that he said that even if the chances are zero – and he wants to go knock out somebody else's chances. How much is that motivation for the Browns to just spoil the Ravens as a as a rival? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll be up for this game. Um, you know, the, the, the Browns always want to beat Baltimore. Baltimore is what the Browns have wanted to be, basically, since Baltimore left uh, in the 90s. Um, you know, this is a you know, big rivalry game. This is going to be Deshaun Watson's first home game. So I imagine there'll be some energy in the stadium. So I, I think the Browns will show up to play. They're a little bit banged up. Uh, just lost Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. Played his best game of the year against the Ravens earlier this season. Uh, is really matched up well in that offense for whatever reason, uh, especially when Lamar has been in there. Um, but, I mean, I, I, think that they'll, I think that they'll show up. But if they lose Saturday, then I wonder, you know, the New Orleans Saints on Christmas Eve at Washington and then at Pittsburgh where the Browns always lose late in the year. I don't know where this season would go from there. So uh, I think it's kind of an interesting game uh, from Cleveland's perspective and like, will they show up? Will they play well? And can they win? And if they don't win, you know, what does the rest of the season look like? It's probably going to be kind of depressing. Now, Jake, one more non-football question before we kind of dive into more things related to this upcoming weekend. And it's about Deshaun, of course, because from what I've seen, it seems as if he's been very dismissive of questions related to his ongoing uh, legal situation which ultimately led to the suspension is there a thought that he will have to address this at some point with local media or uh, has he already am i am i miss have i missed that well i mean i don't know if he is going to be forced to i mean we can keep asking the questions you know he can keep not answering them i don't think the organization is going to force him to answer them um you know i you go back to when the suspension was announced in august you know, the, the, the organization put out a statement on his behalf where he was apologizing. Uh, it was vague, but at least he was apologizing in the statement. And then he comes out and speaks to the media five, ten minutes later and takes it all back and says, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not apologizing for anything. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. I do think that it's going to continue to hang over his head and the organization's head until, you know, he answers some questions about it. I asked him a couple of weeks ago, okay, you're not going to answer non-football questions now. Are you in the future? And 
basically said, I don't know what the future holds was his answer. So I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, at some point, those questions are going to get asked again. Uh, I'm not sure how he's going to approach them, but uh, I don't I don't think he's going to feel compelled to do anything because he hasn't felt that way really since, you know, the Browns traded for him and gave him that record contract. Yeah, it's certainly not going to go away. Hey, Jake, in terms of if, if, the, if the Browns do lose this weekend, as you said, you know, there's a lot kind of riding on it and then the rest of the season's going to, like, where do you go from there? What's the temperature of Kevin Stefanski's seat? Like, with the record that it is, is it kind of like, well, he hasn't had his quarterback, he just now got back? Or is there, you know, is his, is the temperature on his seat, you know, getting warmer, hotter, and is he expected to be back with Watson next year? Well, th- there's this narrative here that, well, you know, the season was lost when the NFL and the NFLPA, you know, agreed to a settlement that extended Deshaun Watson's suspension from six to 11 games. I would actually counter that the Browns record would be exactly the same if Watson were suspended six games. Uh, We saw how he looked in Houston, right? His first game back. His first game back would have been at Baltimore with the six-game suspension. They were not going to win that game. Jacoby actually played pretty well in that game. Um, I I can't see how, given what we saw uh, in terms of rust from Watson, that that, that he would have given them a better chance in that game. Uh, You know, they beat Cincinnati on Monday night handedly with Jacoby. They were not going to beat Miami or Buffalo, no matter who was playing quarterback. Uh, They got blown out in both games. Uh, They beat Tampa Bay at home with Jacoby, and they, you know, they've done what they've done since with Watson. So, I mean, they're like a five and eight team, regardless of of the whole Watson situation. Um, But I, I will say, like, I think that the season, you know, wasn't really lost when. Watson's suspension got extended. I think the season was lost when they made the trade. Created so much drama, such a massive distraction during training camp, and the team just hasn't played well uh, across the board, really, under Stefanski. They're 18th in offensive efficiency. They're 20th in defense. They're 18th in special teams, and they're 5-8. and eight. I mean, they're just a, not a great football team, and this is the second year in a row they haven't been very good across the board. I don't know how you can like pin this on Stefanski because these decisions are being made at the ownership level, but you know, the, the Haslam's have never had a head football co- coach last more than three years in 10 years of owning the team. And yeah. Stefanski is getting ready to complete his third season. So I wouldn't rule it out. I think at this point I'd be a tiny bit surprised just uh, given how they're finally all on the same page uh, from ownership to front office to coaching staff. Um, that's something alignment is the word that they've used, something they've really coveted. They finally have it. And the idea of throwing that away based on decisions that were made above the head coach's level, uh, I think would be puzzling, um, you know, to me. So uh, and I think the other part of it, too, you know, they have this chief strategy officer, Paul D. Podesta. You know, he was the, the, the Jonah Hill character in the movie Moneyball. Like he's the one that's hired Andrew Barry. You know, he's the one that's hired Kevin Stefanski. So. Uh, and, he, you know, the Browns are the most analytically inclined team in the NFL, uh, even more so than the Ravens. So are they going to, like, fire Stefanski and let him hire another guy of his ilk? Like, I don't understand what that really accomplishes either. I mean, listen, Stefanski has not had a good year. He's a very good play caller. I think the decision-making has been just really hard to wrap your head around at times. And they just, you know, mentally, they're not the toughest team in the world. Um, and they're kind of robotic on the sidelines and it's not an emotional team uh, in a lot of ways. 
Um, but that's kind of what they want. So the idea of going away from that, I don't, I don't really, they would have to explain that one to me. And um, so I, I think it's a long way of saying, I think Stefanski will be back, but this is Cleveland. This is the Browns. Like I, you know, you can't rule anything out. That's for sure. seems like year after year, they certainly prove that to be true, but Jake, what about the situational football from Stefanski? I mean, I saw some highlights of that fourth and one decision and you bring Deshaun Watson back. You have him start the game after going with Jacoby all year long. He's got the flow and rhythm down with the offense. Da, 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 da. But then you bring him in for that fourth and one. I mean, does he try to outsmart himself at times? Does this does Stefanski? I think that's fair. I mean, there are a lot of times they make decisions where it's like they're trying to be the smartest guys in the league and it just backfires on them. Like just way too cute. Um, you know, they're not running the ball well now, but they were early on in the season and there'd be times where, you know, they would run plays. You're like, what, what are they doing? They, they're running the ball, you know, eight yards per carry. And now you're going to run some trick play that loses you 20 yards, you know, just stuff like that, that is just hard to, uh, comprehend. And so, yeah, I mean, I think they get way too cute. Uh, I think they try to be way too smart and, uh, it's, it's contributed to why, you know, they're five and eight. So Jake zeroing in on, on this matchup Saturday, um, everybody in the world knew what the Ravens game plan was against the Steelers with, you know, first, second string. And then it was the third string quarterback. It was run, 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 run. And then after the game, when the, you know, the Steelers let them run, all the defenders were like, it's a head scratcher. Why couldn't, couldn't we stop them? So it's probably going to be a pretty similar game plan. We're not exactly sure who the quarterback's going to be. Browns are ranked number 22 in the league in rush defense. What's your confidence level of being of them being able to stop the Ravens' ground attack? Yeah, I have no confidence that they'll be able to stop it. Uh, you know, they just lost, like I mentioned, JOK uh, being out for the year. They lost Sione Takitaki, their other linebacker for the year, um, a couple of weeks ago. And they've lost four linebackers that have started for them this year to season ending injuries. I mean, I don't even know who they're going to play at linebacker, honestly, on mm-hmm. Saturday. It's going to be a bunch of guys that, you know, were, were practice squad caliber guys. And then your, their defensive tackles, which actually I thought played really well against Cincinnati, but otherwise have not, you know, held up against the run, uh, especially against the, uh, you know, the smash mouth, the physical uh, offensive lines, you know, the Ravens are finally healthy up front. It looks like on the offensive line. So, I mean, that's a huge advantage to, to, uh, to, to, to Baltimore. Um, I, I, you know, with JK Dobbins back as well, it looks like he's starting to look like himself again. You would think that the Ravens would be able to run the ball, you know, at will on Cleveland. What's going on with the rushing attack in Cleveland? Cause that's been certainly it's calling card in recent years. Yeah, they're banged up up front. You know, they lost their uh, second string center, Ethan Postich, which was he was playing really well. Um, and they're ba- they're basically playing a you know a backup guard at center. Wyatt Teller, uh, you know, has been battling a calf injury. He's banged up. Jack Conklin, their right tackle, he's banged up with you know a whole array of injuries. Uh, their left tackle, Jed Wills, has really had another disappointing season. So like all of a sudden, their offensive line is not dominant anymore. I mean, they're just getting stuffed, um, you know, week after week. And that was like the one thing, the one constant you could count on. Uh, and now that that's gone away from them, it's really, I, you know, I think made things tough and they want to throw the ball anymore I- anyway, more now with Deshaun Watson. So I would expect them to throw the ball more than they did 
uh, in the game at, at, at Baltimore. Um, they want to become a passing team, even though the personnel is not really built for that. Uh, so it wouldn't stun me if they they try to air it out uh, on Saturday um, and and really try to get Deshaun Watson outside the pocket and you know design run game with him and, and let him be the focal point of the offense instead of Nick Chubb, which I think is where this is all headed anyway. Hey, Jake, we know the big names like Watson, Garrett, Chubb, that's who we'll all be watching, but can you give Ravens fans an under-the-radar Brown that's been sneaky good and that they should kind of be keeping an eye on, maybe be worried about? Donovan Peoples-Jones at wide receiver. You know, that was a big question mark this year, and it's actually been a strength. Um, they don't, they're don't they not deep at the position, but Amari Cooper, you know, DPJ, and David Njoku, like that's that's a pretty good trio of pass catchers that have played really well. And Donovan Peoples-Jones, he's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver. He really doesn't do a good job getting open. Like, he doesn't create any separation, but he makes every contested catch, uh, it seems like. So uh, that's a guy that uh, has become really reliable. And so far, Watson's had a better rapport with Peoples-Jones than than Amari or anybody else. Uh, And so uh, I would look for him to get a lot of targets again on Saturday. What has to go right? What is the formula for a Browns win? Well, they got to stop the run. I think number one, uh, if they can't stop the run, they're going to be in big trouble. Um, you know, they, they can't do dumb stuff like rough the punter or, you know, throw mindless interceptions or, or fumble. I mean, they just have been a very mistake prone team uh, at times this year. So if they can win the turnover battle, that, that will obviously help. And then Watson's just got to play better. Um, you know, he took a step in the right direction, but I, I think he's going to have to play even better uh, for the Browns to have a credible chance on Saturday. That's honestly, that's a good point. That's honestly what I always feel like decides these, at least recently, these Ravens-Browns games. It's always like who makes the dumbest mistake <laughs> in yeah. the end. It's always ending on some sort of weird note. So, Jake, if you can, give us your game and score prediction for this one on Saturday. You know, it's been too long of a season for me. I don't even know. Uh, what do you guys think? Um uh, I'll, I'll pick the I'll pick the Browns to win uh, at home uh, in a close game. It seems like these two teams always split. Um, so I'll, I'll go like 24-21. How's that sound? Where are you at mentally? It's been a long year. I mean, I, it's like this. It was like, it was like Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham straight into uh, Baker and Limbo to the Deshaun Watson trade. And then we hadn't even gotten to April yet. So it's been a very long year for me with with the Baker and the OBJ overlapping. And then of course, everything that's transpired this year, dude, the amount of screen time you were getting on ESPN was, was something else. I guess that was the only good part about it. Silver lining. I'm ready for no screen time. I'm ready for to, to lay low for a while. Thanks for the time, Jake. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jake. We appreciate you. Yeah. Anytime guys. Take care. Good stuff there from Jake. We appreciate his time during, obviously, the the NFL grind and getting ready for a short week since the game's on Saturday, not Sunday. But you know, my biggest takeaway, Sarah, is I, I do find it ridiculous that Deshaun Watson thinks that he doesn't necessarily have to face the music when it comes to answering fair questions from local reporters. And I think you kind of got the hint there from Jake that this is not going away. This is their job. And at some point... At some point, he is going to have to speak for himself, not hide behind the organization's PR statements that are very easy to put forth. So, uh, again, we're going to talk football, but I think that was my biggest takeaway from a situation that I can't imagine uh, being in a position where you and I are in the Cleveland market and having to cover this guy over the last year or so. Uh, I get it. 
allegations are allegations and uh, you know things have been cleared up in the court and legal system. But to me, it's been a very murky, murky water over there for quite some time now. We know the amount of money that this organization paid him in the midst of that process, which is probably the most controversial deal in the history of the NFL. And so, again, big picture conversation for another time. But that is right now my biggest takeaway from from our conversation. Well, it's funny because I liked your question when you were like, how are you doing mentally, Jake? <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> where are we? You know, and I just it, it's it's not fun to cover stuff like that even though it has to be done because fans understandably are so outraged but they can't connect to the organization or to the player himself and so they almost come screaming at you you know as you're covering it and so plus on top of that he's had to deal with you know just just not good football you know forever in Cleveland just constant changeovers and things like that. So, yeah, I was interested, I mean, uh, in lots of things, but on the football side, I mean, I do think Deshaun Watson's, what he does is really going to be what determines this game and what determines the Browns. I mean, I, I mean, I just still can't get over how much they paid him after two years off knowing what was hanging over his head. And, and then he came back and it, uh, didn't play well the first game, which isn't a surprise, and then seemed to play better last week. And so he's going to be, obviously, I mean, any starting quarterback is, but a major key to this game is is what is he going to look like? Is he going to keep knocking off the rust and play as good as we've seen in the past? And you do not want him to come alive against this Ravens secondary, which uh, we'll talk about more later on. So, But the Deshaun Watson, whether you're talking about off the field or on the field, I mean, that's really the the key to everything here and for Baltimore at the quarterback position which of course will be important seeing as seeing how uh you know last week at the completion of the Steelers game we're thinking there's a legitimate chance based on where Tyler was being ruled out in concussion protocol that undrafted rookie third string quarterback Anthony Brown could be the one starting this Saturday in Cleveland that doesn't look to be the case at this point and here's why we feel that way. Snoop seems really, really good to me. He seemed great after the game. And uh, once he clears that, that protocol, I think we'll, you know, all systems go. And then we'll just kind of make some decisions after that. But it really doesn't affect you that much because he's in, in you know, he's in good, good shape. Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman earlier this week talking about Tyler's status and really all but saying we're expecting him to be cleared. And to be to be clear, we're taping this episode on Thursday morning, pre-11 a.m., so there's a good chance within the next 24 hours that clearance could take place. Uh, but basically echoing similar thoughts, similar sentiments to what John Harbaugh shared during his media sessions this week, Sarah. So it sure looks like it will be Snoop under center. And for Ravens fans, it's funny when you, you kind of have a chance to, you know, breathe a, a sigh of relief when your backup QB is going to be out there because obviously – we want Lamar Jackson more so than anyone else. Uh, but Snoop has shown, as we've talked about, you know, over the last several weeks that he's capable of leading this offense. And, you know, he seems to be improving week in and week out. But before I get your take on the whole concussion protocol thing and, and that conversation, Greg was asked about some of the hits that Snoop has sustained in recent weeks as a runner. 
we had a nice little chat about that. And, uh, you know, it's something that he's keenly aware of. You know, we got to do a much better job in that area. You know, we got to emphasize it more. And he's definitely more aware of it now. First of all, I'll just say this. I'm glad to see that it looks like Huntley's going to play. Um, number one, you're just always happy to see somebody be healthy. You don't want to mess around with concussions. Um, number two, and I want to give Anthony Brown his props, the way he came in and completed a pass deep in the end zone on his first NFL snap. That was uh, very commendable. I also just don't know how he plays, right? We don't know how he plays in the NFL. We don't know what he can bring to the table. I do know what we have in Snoop, and and we know that he can lead teams the team to victory. He did it against the Broncos, had that amazing fourth quarter uh, game-winning drive. We know that he did beat the Bears. He's lost a few others. So I'm interested to see, you know, if he can do it again against against these Browns. And I feel like the Ravens have a better chance with Tyler Huntley starting uh, over Anthony Brown. Uh, but obviously that's saying I don't I, – I don't – there's not a lot of tape on Anthony Brown to say whether or not he would succeed. But I, I know that Tyler can. Having said that, because I'm glad he's there – Boy, do I hope that he's protected more, whether that's through the play calling or his own decision making. It just kind of makes you appreciate even more the durability of Lamar Jackson. I mean, it has just been said since he's drafted, oh, you can't run and, and you know, stay healthy long term. And it just hasn't been that just hasn't been the case. I did a long term study over the last decade and uh, running quarterbacks are not injured the most. And as we know, anytime Lamar has sustained an injury, it's been from the pocket. Having said that, because there are some quarterbacks in the past, including RG3 and then the way Tyler Huntley was taking hits, it it does make it seem like running quarterbacks get hit more. But it doesn't have to be that way. You have so much more control when you're running as opposed to just sitting back there like a sitting duck in the in the pocket with your eyes down the field. But as a runner, you can give yourself up, you can run out of bounds, all that kind of stuff and Huntley has just chosen to like, instead of going out of bounds, take on a hitter when he just, or a defender, when he just doesn't have to, he'll plow in with his shoulder or, or um, the reads he makes on the, on the RPOs and the option runs. I mean, he's just, he's got to, he's got to make the right decision. So I want to see him and Giro protect him uh, because I do not want to see him go down again uh, because I think with him under center, if Lamar can't be there, Tyler gives the best chance of winning. I was thinking about this week, Sarah, along these same lines. So a few days a week, I play pickup basketball. For those that are listening that are familiar to the Baltimore area, it's, it's it's in Canton. And, you know, it's typically some intense, you know, high level, not high level basketball, but, you know, competitive basketball, let's say that. And I found myself walking away from the, the game of pickup thinking to myself, wow, if I get a sense of adrenaline from kind of getting back into playing pickup and mixing it up with these guys and, you know, just a, a hard fought 20 minute game of hoops. Can you imagine the adrenaline rush that a young quarterback like Tyler Huntley is feeling when he's in open space, sees daylight and yeah. is chasing a first down or is chasing the end zone or something along those lines in front of, by the way, 60, 70,000 some odd fans like, I can't even imagine how difficult it is to channel essentially like composure and patience and understanding of the moment and understanding of of how important you are to your team in that moment. And obviously, 
you know that the tape you're putting out week in and week out while Lamar is down is absolutely paramount to your future. You want to be a starting quarterback at some point in this league, whether it's in Baltimore or elsewhere. And all of that, I would have to think, just naturally, organically goes into putting your body on the line like we've seen. And so it's so easy to talk about it, right? And and Greg was obviously very stern there because if Tyler were to go down, this team would be in deep trouble. And again, that's no disrespect to Anthony Brown. The unknown is why we're saying that about Anthony Brown. And and one note on him too, that I, I don't think we've mentioned it enough. He may not have had any first team reps ever with the group that he was with there on the one yard line, Sarah. Like he may never have worked with them uh, in full as a unit. And so for him to go out there and and lead that, you know, lead them out of the cave they were essentially in there in a hostile environment on the one yard line with the game on the line is is pretty sensational. But I did find myself thinking about that when it comes to Snoop and, and his running and the adrenaline earlier this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's and that's why experience helps you do that, right? It just like, you know, it's like you've been there before. But yeah, I mean, I could totally see the adrenaline going and you're just like, I'm not just going to run out of bounds. I'm taking this guy on, you know, and uh, but you do that over the course of the game and 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 that's tough. So hopefully as he gets more experience, he'll he'll be able to settle those those nerves down, that adrenaline down and, and channel it in the right way. All right, Sarah, let's shift gears now to another key part of this offensive scheme in Baltimore, and that is Mark Andrews. And when Lamar went down, I'm not sure maybe we realized how much of a drop-off there would be in terms of chemistry between Mark and Tyler Huntley. And that's not to say that there isn't any chemistry there, but there is somewhat of a significant drop-off. And we saw that one specific play where Tyler Huntley rolled off to the right and kind of brought a bunch of guys with him uh, in that Steelers game. I know we talked about this in our instant reaction, and 89 was wide open on the left-hand side of the field for what would have been a walk-in touchdown. Before we get to that and just their overall chemistry, Greg Roman was asked about, hey, how can we get this guy more involved? They're paying a lot of attention to him. There's times when he's just purely getting doubled, uh, and there's a lot of ways to build a double, uh, but he's getting doubled a lot. And... uh, a lot more than he ever has, you know, and uh, a lot of variety of different ways. It's that simple, you know. So there's times when you want to, you can design some things to beat a double team, and there's times when you, the ball's got to go elsewhere, or else you're asking for, you know, now you're playing with fire, you know, trying to throw it into the defensive coverage, you know. So, um, but Mark's Mark's having a great year. I thought he played incredibly this past week in terms of playing football, not you know stat sheets and all that. Like, uh, he, he blocked really well. Um, he had a lot on his plate in that regard. You know, we have all the faith in the world. You know, Mark's one of the best tight ends in the game. You know, Sarah, his roles as a non-pass catcher haven't exactly been talked about much throughout his years in Baltimore because he's been such a key part of their pass catching. So it is funny to, to hear Greg kind of dap him up about those areas because we know that he's obviously been more than serviceable in those, but it's just not something we often talk about. Yeah, I mean, uh, we always have dubbed him, or the media has always dubbed him as, as you know, the pass, the pass catching tight end and that, um, you know, he was not the blocking tight end. But uh, Roman is right. I mean, a few of the plays, if you go back where there was important key runs, uh, Mark Andrews was, uh, you know, a key blocker. And the one, the one I'm thinking of is uh, that six-yard 
uh, run by Gus Edwards, where uh, honestly everybody blocked perfectly on that play. But uh, to point out Mark Andrews specifically, he stood up J.J. Watt, and J.J. Watt was like digging, 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 and J.J. Watt, Andrews- yeah, sorry, my bad, T.J. Watt, yeah. and he was digging, 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 and Mark Andrews didn't give up an, an inch, didn't give up an inch. So yeah, having said that. Listen, this passing game has got to get a spark. And, you know, as you mentioned, part of it is, you know, the chemistry between uh, Huntley and Mark. Um, Lamar would often throw to to Mark even when he was doubled or sometimes it felt like there was like four opponent jerseys in the vicinity. So some of it is just like, let Mark do what he does. Some of it's don't miss him when he's open, as you pointed out, the one play. But the other thing, and it's, it's you know, and we keep talking about this, but they're going to keep doing that until the Ravens have other legitimate threats at wide receiver. And I think that um, Demarcus Robinson has really played above expectations. So, um, you know, Devin DuVernay, I felt like he was, He's been good, but I feel like he was better when Rashad Bateman was out there. Uh, I thought they complemented each other well. And so um, it's going to have to be that other weapons step up. And at least that did happen this last week in the form of running backs. I mean, J.K. Dobbins, even not even being 100%, was a complete game changer uh, having him out there. So wherever other weapons can step up, that's going to help. And, and Roman himself is going to have to get creative in helping, you know, Mark get open and help develop other receiving routes so that the defense has to pay attention to other, other places. So it's a combination of things. It's going to be, you know, and there's been a couple, uh, this is earlier in the season. I, I don't know if it was as, as of late, maybe I'm just forgetting, but Mark's got to catch the balls that are coming his way. I remember he had a couple of easy drops. So, um, so it's a combination of, of Mark you know, making those catches when they come. It's Tyler Huntley getting chemistry with them. It's Tyler Huntley not missing him. It's it's Greg Roman, um, you know, designing plays to get him open, being more creative, and other receivers stepping up. It's a combination of those things, but you're going to need a Mark Andrews playing at an all-pro, Pro Bowl level once the Ravens reach the, the postseason because you can't just have J.K. and Gus going you know, add it in the run game. You do have to have a threat in the passing game. And who, aside from Demarcus Robinson over the last month or so, has been that threat? That's kind of what you were getting at. I mean, yeah, DuVernay has had his flashes, but, you know, who else is commanding the respect aside from Demarcus Robinson that, you know, gives the opportunity for these opponents, as we've seen, to just double up Mark? Because, yeah, we just got to worry about Demarcus on the outside, guys. So let's just double up and frustrate the heck out of Mark all game long. And, you know, we'll take our blows in the run game. And let's see if we can h- hang with them with our passing attack or with our ground game. In this case, it'll be Cleveland's ground game, we think, with, with Chubb and the boys. So, yeah, it's um, could this be, well, though, given some of Cleveland's linebacker issues, could this be sort of a breakout game for Mark? I say breakout. With in the sense that it's just been a while. Resurgence. Had, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. It's been yeah. a while since he's had one of his signature games. Could this be the one? The Browns have lost four linebackers to season-ending injuries. Most recently, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, the second second-round pick from 2021, had his best game as a Brown. By the way, they say in Cleveland 
earlier this year when the Ravens and Browns matched up. Of course, Baltimore won that one, 23-20 at home here in Baltimore. And then the other guys, Anthony Walker, Jacob Phillips, Taki Taki. So, I mean, they're down to, and we heard this from Jake, right? Like, they're going to be down to some probably practice squad, you know, random signing kind of guys at the linebacker position. And maybe that is an area that Giro looks to exploit with Mark. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, he absolutely has to exploit it. This is this is a great opportunity to get Mark Andrews going again. And maybe, again, don't I'm not advocating that, you know, uh, Huntley throws into, you know, coverage that that's just just not making I'm not advocating that he make bad decisions, but put a little trust in Mark where you can to let him come down with things against as as Jake pointed out and as you pointed out, per, like some practice squad level linebackers. So it's the perfect opportunity for the two to kind of like ignite um, their connection. And then on top of it, this is again, and Jake said he had no confidence in in the Cleveland Browns being able to stop this running attack. I mean, I, I'm with him. You know, I was watching, um, did you see this? The, the, wired from Ravens Productions where Roquan Smith was giving a pregame speech. And by the way, the way he was doing that and the way he was talking with his teammates, it seemed like he was drafted here and he's been here his whole career. Let's go earn today. Let's go hit them out from the jump and let them know who we are and that we're here to stay from the first play to the last play. It's going to start with y'all and PQ. Once they start that, we're going to finish that. You know we do on two. One, two. Like in a matter of a couple of weeks, he has already commanded the respect and and friendship with the other guys on this team. But as he was giving this pregame speech, he's talking to the defensive lineman and he goes, y'all start it. And then he looked at Patrick Queen and he said, PQ, and then you and I will finish it. And it, it was like it got the whole defensive going. And and that is perfectly said that with this 
with these linebackers being down, they presumably don't have finishers unless they have some gem that is on the practice squad that has just been uncovered. But presumably, they don't have finishers. So let's get this offensive line, which, man, the offensive line was good last week with blocking. Let's keep doing that. And then once these running backs hit the second level, if there's no finishers there, then they can really tear things up. So that is absolutely a matchup that Giro needs to exploit with his players. I just want to give – I know you're about to talk about Linderbaum. Ben Powers is the highest-graded pass-blocking guard in the NFL right now, according to Pro Football Focus. Brent Powers never gets love. In fact, I think that I was personally rooting that, that Ben Cleveland would win that left guard spot. And by the way, when Cleveland came in on right guard, when he was, you know, rotating with Tristan Cologne, I mean, he had some pancakes in there, Cleveland did. So, but Ben Powers just has taken that starting job and it hasn't given it up, hasn't given it up at all. He's been playing super well. So he's been phenomenal. And I don't have the the stats in front of me, but oh, here we go. When Ronnie Stanley, this is Spencer Schultz, when Ronnie Stanley's in the lineup, the Ravens have rushed for a 155, 211, 160, 231, 188, 115 when he left early due to injury, and then 215. So that's averaging 193 yards rushing when he's in the game. I mean, he's a difference maker for sure. So just more love to the whole offensive line overall. But sorry to interrupt your point about Linderbaum. No, that's okay. I'm glad you did because I remember in training camp, we were like, okay, aside from Ronnie's availability and status and when he'll return and the new guy on the right-hand side, Morgan Moses, and what he has left in him and what Jawan James could be for this team, we were kind of searching for storylines, you know, up and down the line in terms of what we, th- you know, who we th- thought would have been the starter come week one. And really the only question we had was, well, who's it going to be at left guard? You know, is it going to be Cleveland? Is it going to be McCary or is there going to be powers? And by virtue of essentially process of elimination with Ben Cleveland failing the conditioning test and just kind of, you know, not staying healthy not yeah. staying healthy and, and not giving himself a chance at competing. They went with Ben Powers because they were going to have McCary doing swing tackle stuff. And then obviously when, when Jawan James went down and, and they knew Ronnie was going to be, you know, up and down, they needed to use him at left tackle. But nonetheless, you get what I'm got where I'm going. Like yeah, Ben has come yeah. out of nowhere, you know, in this race from way back and, uh, you know, really answered the bell. But here's that PFF grade that I was talking about for Linderbaum, 91.3 against the Steelers. We know what their defensive front is all about in Pittsburgh, very similar to Cleveland's. They're bad boys up there, and yet that single-game grade ranked first among all offensive linemen across Week 14 grades and second among all rookie offensive players this season. So, yeah, they're they're getting great contributions from their young dude and obviously kind of um, probably – with that Grinch smile that I talk about before, right? That, that the front office has a little Grinch smile this time of year, festively speaking, because of uh, all the hate and questions and controversy that came with using a first-round pick on a center back in April. Yeah, he's he's been he's been fantastic. I mean, the the criticism still stands that the Ravens never quite replaced Hollywood Brown. But I don't think you can criticize the pick to get Tyler Linderbaum and the way Kyle Hamilton's playing. Uh, you know, he's been he just keeps going up after, uh, you know, a rough um, 
beginning, which is not uncommon for for rookies. So we had we'd started talking about linebacker play on the Cleveland side. And then, you know, we kind of brought brought up Roquan. And uh, but I've loved, you know, with with Patrick Queen coming alive. I mean, he was doing well before Roquan uh, arrived, but I, I think Roquan has even helped him take to it to another level. So I just think it's been funny. This this apology form. I haven't even seen the apology form. Do you have it? I need to look it up because we got to read it off. I have it. Yeah. So. Man, we're right. giving we're giving our guy Spenny a lot of airtime here. All right, I, we I sure think we got to talk to him. I mean, he, he's gonna <laughs> he's got to send us Christmas cards for the amount of airtime he's getting here on the vault. But uh, Spencer hey, Schultz, it's not his fault that he's had good tweets. All right, I mean, <laughs> you, you just I, I'll I'll highlight whoever has a good tweet, you know, or Absolutely. a bad tweet. We'll highlight those two and then and say why they're bad. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, we will. We will. Spencer Schultz, popular Twitter personality at Ravens for dummies had a great one recently earlier this week he put together a patrick queen apology form and essentially asking fans to hold themselves accountable the ones that were kind of noisy about pq earlier on in his career probably really as as recently as earlier this year um i think it was in the miami game where he stumbled a couple times but anyway so spenny writes you know to patrick queen from blank date blank Reason for behavior, and you can check out the following, check off the following boxes. One, I was caught in a social media bandwagon. Two, I forgot he was only 22. Three, I was jealous of Patrick Queen. Four, I was just upset with the coaches. Five, I don't know football. Or six, Mercury was in retrograde. And then, of course, below, you got to check off the box. I will hereby respect Patrick Queen, and I will not talk down on the future first ballot Hall of Famer, which, of course, is having a little bit of fun. It's just hyperbole. But that's the box. So if you're out there and you haven't seen this one yet, we ask you, hold yourself accountable if you are all over PQ. He's playing great right now. But before we get into the kind of which boxes we think most folks are checking, and, and PQ talked on this on national television, Sarah, we do have to acknowledge again, we already have, but we have to acknowledge that before Roquan came, he was playing solid football. When Roquan showed up, it was taken to a Pro Bowl caliber kind of season for PQ. Yeah, and real quick, tell me if I'm wrong. Is is Spencer the one that Patrick Queen blocked due to criticism? And then they like made up and he went on to a show? That's that's that was Spencer, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is awesome that they've like gone from blocking one another to uh, going on each other's show and retweeting his, his form, all of that. So that's just a funny story all around. All right, but what did PQ say? He said, are we going to roll that? I think people did write me off early. Uh, obviously, I'm a guy that gets on Twitter a lot. I read a lot of stuff on Twitter, and it was like a lot of harsh things going on uh, people, that people were saying. So, um, But I really don't let that weigh me down. I, I actually use that as motivation. So I really don't be tripping off the stuff that people say on Twitter. Sometimes I even fire back every now and then if I'm feeling like I got time. And uh, I think probably the box that most people were checking off was uh, that he was only 22 and I was caught on the bandwagon, the social media bandwagon. So, Sarah, I don't know. I still think he spends way too much time on Twitter and it can become toxic really, really quickly. But sounds like he's figured out how to kind of channel that energy and, <laughs> and frustration. Yeah, and I would agree that I would think that uh, at least my analysis is that it becomes a social media 
bandwagon because it's so easy to pile on, right? So he could have, you know, he could have a decent game, but as soon as he has one mistake, it's like everybody jumps on him, you know? And so that's that's where I think it can kind of get out of control. So, But I do think it was legit to criticize where he didn't play well. What I don't think was legit was calling him a bust so early. I think those are the ones that that are filling out the the uh, the apology forms, but I don't think because uh, this that's what we do, right? We anal- we put in our analysis game by game, and if he didn't have a good game or if he didn't have a good play, it was legit to call that out. Um, but to call him a bust, I think was was always going too far, which happened with with Kyle Hamilton also, just way too early and too premature. Absolutely, yeah, and gosh, I mean, he's been a polarizing figure for whatever reason, probably just because of his draft status, right? As a first rounder. And then of course at the position (laughs) in the history of the Ravens, we know what the linebacker position has been and meant this organization. So I'm just happy for him. He's a good guy. He is a soft-spoken guy uh, in the media, but my goodness, he and Roquan are anything but soft-spoken on the field together and their communication just is sending waves up and down this defense. And so, you know, uh, look, we'll have a conversation next week. I know in terms of a lot of the questions that we've received from some listeners in recent weeks about whether or not the Ravens have intentions of, of signing Roquan Smith to a long-term deal. I know we're going to have something on that early next week, but for right now, you know, these two are trying to, you know, do the unthinkable and and bring Baltimore to the promised land here. And, you know, like I just said, with his leadership skills, it seems like he's been here his whole career. It seems like they got, you know, drafted together and been playing together for years, which is just unbelievable to see. All right. What's your what's your matchup to watch for, for Saturday? I think what I'm looking at specifically is Deshaun Watson versus Baltimore's interior defensive line pressure. And here's why I went back to the box score. Uh, when these two teams played the first time around uh, in Baltimore. And uh, Mike McDonald had a little bit of everything going. He had some DB blitz packages designed up for Jacoby Brissett at the time. But the interior pressure was very, very impactful. And matter of fact, Ravens as a team finished with five total sacks. Patrick Queen had one. By the way, he was the... He had a game high, 11 tackles, seven of which were solo, one sack, three tackles for loss, a QB hit. So the pressure was coming from all over the field. But PQ had one sack. Calais had one there in the interior. Kyle Hamilton coming on a little DB blitz package had one. And then Justin Houston, who's been quiet in the sack department in recent weeks, had two. So if that's any indication for what could be coming uh, this time around, I think that 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 you know that's going to be my matchup to watch, but more so, more most importantly, in the in some of the highlights that I've seen from Deshaun so far in just two regular season games, obviously since returning from the suspension, like we talked about, he he's been a little twitchy, a little indecisive in the pocket, as you might imagine, as he kind of gets back into you know the flow of of handling his business in the pocket, which is just obviously organized chaos and chaotic. So. That's something I'm looking for. How about you? With the Browns, you always start with with Nick Chubb for sure. Um, he's he's everything to them. But I have confidence in the Ravens' rush defense, which ranks number two right now. And that's for the whole year, and it's been even better since Roquan has come on the scene. So I have 
more confidence that they'll be able to contain, not stop, but contain Nick Chubb. What I have uh, less confidence about is this pass defense. And I asked Jake for his sneaky good player, and he brought up Donovan Peoples-Jones. And it that is exactly, before he even said that, where I'm most concerned, mainly because where I feel like the Ravens defense, I said this in the postgame show, this is a very good defense, but I can't call them elite until they consistently finish at the end of halves. Now, luckily, the Ravens were able to convert that Gus Bus run, and then they were able to run out the clock, but the defense had just given up a touchdown to put them within two, and if the Ravens' offense had a punt, I wouldn't have had very much confidence in stopping them. The Ravens' uh, pass defense ranks number 26 right now, and that's it's it's so surprising because the Ravens pump most of their cap dollars into the pass defense. And so, you know, Marlon last week just had a bad game. We both said we we both think he's going to bounce bounce back and he needs to. Marcus Peters, he always gambles and that's okay as long as the 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 picture there, the interceptions are there. He's been I don't think he's been he's reached his pre-torn ACL form so it's just this idea I think Marcus Williams coming back helps but I just I just I look at the box score from from last game too Amari Cooper had 74 yards Donovan Peoples-Jones had 71 yards and Ujoko had 71 yards and so you know that's that's three three receiving guys I mean obviously Ujoko's a tight end but that's that's a lot of yards and so that's what I'm going to be watching is can the Ravens, DBs, and linebackers, stop, you know, slow down this passing game. And uh, so that's what I'll be watching. It just makes me nervous, especially can they slow it down at the end of halves when you know that that's what teams are going to be doing. They're just going to be throwing it to the air, you know, if they're behind. And at that point, Nick Chubb isn't even a factor if they're behind and, and throwing it. So uh, my matchup is, is these DBs, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters against Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Yeah, if the Ravens are clinging to a less than one possession lead in the game's final minutes and Cleveland is put in a position where, yeah, you have to take the ground game out of play because the clock is now essential. You know, can we sit here and have confidence in, in the pass defense to close out a game and bleed out the clock? You know, and, and I don't think we can say that confidently, at least on a consistent week in and week out basis. And that's something that Mike McDonald has asked about this week, not only Marlins uncharacteristically poor performance at Pittsburgh with the, the bigger threat that is rookie wide receiver George Pickens and obviously the proven threat that is Deontay Johnson. But uh, Mike Mack was asked about Marlins play within the last week or so and also the pass defense, statistically speaking. When you look at the deep passes and the kind of the big play pass rule, again, it's hard to attribute it to, you know, to one or two things like last game. You know, it wasn't Marlon's best game, but he's a guy that you know, I think he's he's an elite corner, and we're going to keep putting him in situations where he's going to be, you know, man to man on on in one on ones. You know, and we're confident he's going to win those. I think you just looked at three separate situations kind of to string together in one game, and then there, you know, there's some other things where uh, I actually think we've been done a good job of keeping the ball in front. You know, over the probably the last you know half of the season. So I'm curious on those stats, but uh, you know, the the game that sticks out is this last game and. 
you know, we're confident that, you know, he'll make those plays moving forward. You know, too, Sarah, for those who have been following along with some of Marlon's stats between the inside and the outside, what he's asked to do within Mike McDonald's scheme, he's been exceptional in the slot. He's struggled at times with bigger wide receivers, as we saw on Sunday in Pittsburgh, on the outside. So some may wonder, and we covered this a little bit in the morning vault earlier this week, some may wonder, well, why don't you just exclusively use him in the slot? But the reality is, aside from Marcus Peters, behind Marcus Peters, I should say, from a depth standpoint, there isn't that one guy who they feel they can trust uh, to do the heavy lifting. And unfortunately, they lost who they thought that guy could be week one in New York. Kyle Fuller, right? Jalen Armour Davis, a rookie. He's now done for the year with a season-ending injury. Pepe Williams has gotten his opportunities, but he hasn't proven to be that guy. And maybe maybe that's okay because he's a rookie. Same with Jalen. They have a learning curve that they're going through right now as mid-round picks in the 2022 draft. Uh, Brandon Stevens hasn't proven yet that that he can be that guy either. So, you know, it's uh, it's a difficult situation all of a sudden. And as we talked about in the morning vault, I guarantee you, as it is every year, Cornerback will come at a high priority level for this team come April. Bobby, that leads exactly into some of the email questions we got. Because Hunter Mitchell wrote us and uh, says, Bobby, sir, I've been listening to your show daily since week one. I've really enjoyed your takes and analysis. The last postgame show Steelers was great. Keep up the good work. Question. The only position listed CBs to take a snap yesterday, meaning against the Steelers, were MP and Humphrey. It seems Kyle Hamilton carried the load in the slot. Is that sustainable against the higher scoring teams like KC, Miami, and Buffalo? Cheers, Hunter. I think that's exactly what you're you're getting at here, Bobby, is that um, that's kind of what they have to do because, you know, Kyle Hamilton isn't going to go on the outside and um, uh, Brandon Stevens, I know they've tried, but that was not looking good. And so, as you said, Kyle Fuller went down. So, but to Hunter's point, this is, this is what we're talking about. This is why I brought it up as the matchup to watch. It just, it's, it's, it's the number 26 ranked pass defense and it's, it's a little nerve wracking. So you just do, you got to, I think Kyle Hamilton is probably the, the best option there. Now Humphrey does still go inside from time to time, but um, as McDonald said, he will have him travel a little bit with whoever is their best receiver. So sometimes he will go into the slot, but uh, that is, I think, the best option right now. And they're just going to need Kyle Hamilton and to play well there. And 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 Humphrey's got to play better on the outside because um, they just don't have another option on the outside. I should mention too that right now, CB two on the right side. Listed wise on the depth chart is Kevon Seymour, who's been a value, very valuable special teamer in recent weeks. But as we've all seen, when he's asked to do, you know, heavy workload kinds of roles at the cornerback position, things don't tend to go well. So that's just something to keep in mind as we get ready for uh, January and, and postseason football. But our next email comes in and again. We would love to hear from you. We're trying to sneak in as many emails as we can during our preview episode. So hit us up at Baltimore Ravens vault at gmail.com. But this one comes in from Tucker and Tucker's like a celeb these days because Tucker is the one who proposed 
to his now fiance at the Steelers Ravens game. So he says, my name's Tucker. I'm the Ravens fan who proposed to my lovely fiance on the sideline before the game on Sunday and just wanted to say thank you for the shout out. We talked about it in our instant reaction. I listen to your show almost every day and love all your content. It was a magical day and I never expected it to turn out so big. Keep on giving us that great daily Ravens content. And Sarah, it's had some legs. I mean, ESPN's picked it up. A bunch of publications have picked it up and we talked about it on Sunday and uh, good for him and good for them to, to find love in a hopeless situation. Raven Steelers. Are you kidding me? <laughs> hey, man, it works. It works. I told you my husband was was born in Pittsburgh. Not that he was like a massive, massive plan. In fact, he moved to, to, to New York later, but his parents are both Steelers fans and, and I've converted him. So. Uh, it's it's possible, but congratulations to Tucker. I'm glad he emailed us. I'm glad he heard it. I'm glad to hear he's a uh, he's a avid listener. That makes me super happy. Uh, this one comes from Sarah Kendall. Hello, Sarah and Bobby. My question for the pod this week is: In your opinion, is this a good or bad Ravens team? With the inconsistency of this team on both sides of the ball at this point in the season, I genuinely cannot tell on a grading scale. What would they be at? All right, great question here, Sarah. I have I have consistent I've consistently said that I think the Ravens are playing beneath their potential. Um, I do think there's since Rashad Bateman went down, I think the biggest flaw is this wide receiver group, and it. And and also because I remember in the beginning of the season, we were worried about the pass rushers. I think by now, uh, with everybody coming back and the signings they've made, that is not a concern. It's just funny how quickly things can change in a couple months. And so I think with the Ravens putting all their eggs in the Rashad basement, um, Bateman basket was was not good. So I think that it's, it's scary out there uh, at the wide receiver position. I just don't know that it's threatening enough to opposing uh, defenses. That said, I think the defense is really good. I cannot call them elite yet because they need to finish out halves. And um, and it's just always a scary proposition with two minutes left in the other. And I don't, it doesn't matter who the other quarterback is on the other side. It's, it's a scary proposition. So once they start closing out games, uh, then they can move into elite status. I think... When Lamar Jackson is healthy, and now that basically the whole offensive line is healthy, it looks like Kevin Zeitler could be back. You got J.K. Dobbins back. You've got Gus Edwards back. If you get Lamar back, I think it's a very good offense. It's tough to call it elite based off of the wide receiver position. So, however, if they can play up to the potential, even without wide receivers, I think this team can go deep into the playoffs but they have to play their a game and i still to date this is week 15 coming up i still don't think we've come close to seeing their a game sarah until they prove that they can hang with you from a vertical passing attack that's often needed uh, to win in the postseason i think they have a hard time hanging with the afc elites in late january i'm talking kansas City's, buffaloes and cincinnati's but i do hope they prove me wrong Next question comes in from Alan Lee, listens to us daily from North Carolina. He's from Baltimore. He loves the inside scoop. We appreciate you, Alan. We love our daily listeners for sure. 
And uh, he wants to know what the heck is up with David Ajabo. How's he looking in practice? Or can you see what they have him doing? So Sarah and I are not out at practice. Uh, I unfortunately lost my access when I left radio, when I was dismissed by local radio. And I've not been invited back, unfortunately. So that's just the reality there. And Sarah is in Columbus, so we do rely on the beat reporters. But I think when you take a look at the situation from a 1,000 feet up, Sarah, let me know if you agree with this. They are, one, dealing with a, a young young man who is trying to come back from that torn Achilles that he suffered at his pro day just last March. That combined with the success and the depth that this team all of a sudden has at the outside linebacker position. I mean, we don't often talk about Jason Pierre-Paul, Sarah, and I know he's technically – you know, considered a defensive end, but gosh, what he's doing right now for them is impactful. We know that uh, Justin Houston is having a career year. At least he was earlier on this season. Hopefully he finishes up that way. Uh, Adafi Owe is, yes, he's been underwhelming, but he's still proven to be, you know, impactful and they want to give him a chance as a former first round pick. So, you know, uh, Ty, I haven't even mentioned Tyus Bowser yet. So I think all those factors are in play here, with, which is why I don't believe we'll see a Jabo this year. And it's not that surprising. Where are you at with this? Yeah. And Bobby, just real quick here, the beat writers don't really have access to watching Ojabo in practice either because really only training camp are, are as you know, obviously, um, reporters allowed to be in there for practice. Otherwise, during the season, they're only in there for like the first 15, 20 minutes watching warmups. So Nobody can really say, reporter-wise, how he looks in practice. But I did see somebody asking Jeff Zrebeck last week about Ojabo, and he said it wasn't an injury thing. It just He just said as soon as coaches feel like he's up to speed and, you know, moving fast within the defense, then they would they would activate him. So that was like a kind of a clue to me that, that as you alluded to, Bobby, he's a rookie coming into the NFL – Missed all of training camp, missed all the rookie camps, missed all the mini camps and um, has just recently, you know, been activated. And then on top of it, because the Ravens were so banged up in the beginning of the year, they were first forced to go ahead and sign JPP, who's playing at a great level. And so you have Tyus Bowser, Justin Houston, and JPP, who are all playing well. Even Odafe Owe, his snap count has come way down, which you would expect with guys getting healthy, but even less than maybe you would think. So some people are advocating that Odafe Owe be deactivated in in place to give that place to Ojabo. Uh, but just based off of what Jeff had said, it sounds like Ojabo just isn't up to speed quite yet. And why throw him out there when when you've got plenty of guys playing well at the position? So that was, that was my take on that. Yeah, Sarah, before we move on to, I'm looking at a December 5th reply tweet from Jeff in which he is, is essentially saying that Mike McDonald made it clear last week that they want to see Ajabo playing faster in practice. They're deep at outside linebacker, so it's been tough for him to get in. So that's kind of what, what you were getting at there. Uh, that's exactly, yeah, that was exactly the yeah, tweet. But, yep. but that's, yeah. I mean, that's what we were both getting at. It, it's a deep room all of a sudden. It went from the thinnest position group to the, to the most, you know, to the deepest. And at this point... I don't know why you would bring him back unless you really think that that he can be, you know, a high motor, 
you know, significant contributor at some point in the postseason. I think you get a full offseason under your belt, David. We know you slipped considerably after that torn Achilles. It's too bad because he probably would have been a top 10 pick. But you could also look at that as super encouraging because if he were to be a top 10 pick and he can get back from this torn Achilles, as we've seen Tyus Bowser do, then maybe this guy can be a big-time contributor beginning in 2023 fall for Baltimore. All right, so this last email leads us perfectly into predictions. Jeff Hewitt, uh, he actually emailed us after our last preview show where both you and I incorrectly predicted that the Steelers would beat the Ravens. And before the game even happened, Jeff was like, guys, you're caught up in the negativity. I believe in the Ravens. So then he emailed back after the game, held us accountable, which we did not even mention in our post-game show that that we had uh, predicted against the Ravens and lost. And so uh, Jeff has just emailed again, and now he's a little bit nervous against Cleveland just because Pete Prisco (laughs) picked the Ravens, which... Yeah, Pete doesn't always get it get it right. So that leads us perfectly into our picks this week. Bobby, let's start with you. Well, first of all, Sarah, you know how Roquan said that he and PQ were putting the league on notice? I mean, Jeff Hewitt put us on notice. Yeah. I mean, we just, we got put on yeah. notice by him. He was sending multiple emails, making sure to remind us of last week's predictions. And unfortunately, Jeff, I'm probably going to upset you again. But... The positive thing is here. Maybe I'm the next Pete Prisco because we were both wrong last week. <laughs> and look what happened for the Ravens. I am picking against the Ravens in back-to-back weeks here. It is super, super difficult to beat an in-division opponent twice. Uh, so often we have seen the Ravens split their season series with divisional opponents, not necessarily Cleveland, definitely Pittsburgh uh, over the years. And I think that's going to be the case this year for Cleveland. Yes, they don't have a lot to play for. Less than a 1% chance at making the postseason right now based on several metrics out there. But Deshaun Watson continues to get his feet from underneath him. Uh, Game two was a lot better than game one, having listened to some Browns podcasts this week and also seen some highlights. And I think their ground game is going to be, you know, I know from interior defensive standpoint, you said it earlier on, Ravens are stout up front, but Nick Chubb, they, they may not have seen a running back like Ch- Nick Chubb yet. He may be one of the best, if not the best, in the entire league, and I think they're going to have a tough time with him. And if they do start to have a tough time with him, then the, the can of worms is open because guys like Donovan People-Jones can get involved, and we know that the pass defense has been the Achilles heel for Baltimore at stretches this year. So I will go with another low scoring, you know, final here with the Ravens falling to the Browns in Cleveland by a final score of 18 to 15. Bobby, what do you mean? They've never faced somebody like Nick Chubb. They faced Nick Chubb earlier this season. That's true. (laughs) That's true. They have faced Nick Chubb, but aside from Nick Chubb, (laughs) good point. Good call there, partner. You got me laugh coughing over here. Hold on a second. (laughs) Okay. So they have faced a guy like Nick Chubb once before this year, and it was Nick Chubb. My bad. Brain fart there. No, that was funny. No, that was funny. All right. Okay. So this one I had a little bit of a tougher time predicting. Um, I don't like that they're missing Lamar Jackson again. I don't like that the passing game is um, just not moving the ball. 
and I'm nervous about, as I said, the matchup with Donovan Peoples-Jones and, and Amari Cooper. But um, that said, I think that the Ravens can exploit <clears throat> the linebacker, middle linebacker crew for the Cleveland, both with their tight ends and with their running backs. Um, I think that if they lean into that, win uh, time of possession, which again won't be easy with with Nick Chubb on the other side. Um, I also agree with you that it's extremely tough to win back-to-back AFC North road games, but I, I don't know. I just this is one of those games where I feel like, like I said, it always comes down to craziness. And because I literally can see it going either way, I could easily see a path for the Ravens with what I just laid out of of the run game and the middle of the field with the tight ends and the defense, you know, playing up to its potential. I could easily see that playing out. I could also see um, the the Ravens' pass defense giving up a late win, uh, you know, late in the game. I could see it going either way. And since I, I feel like this is a 50-50 game, I'm going to side with the Ravens. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to bet on Cleveland because whenever you bet on Cleveland, it seems like, you know, bad things happen. So because I see it as a 50-50 game, I, I take the Ravens franchise over the Cleveland franchise. So I will take the Ravens. Um, I'll go 20, 20 to 17. Again, just want to reiterate, I hope I'm wrong, but I do think that it's been a flip of the coin couple weeks for the Ravens, especially in division. And that could very well be the case down the stretch. Maybe not against a team like the Falcons, but they do have a couple more divisional games coming up. So we will see how things play out. But uh, that is our official game preview for week 15 of this NFL season. Again, mark your calendars accordingly. On the 17th, this upcoming Saturday, Ravens play at 4.30 on a Saturday. So... I guess you can all chill on Sunday and watch football. And then obviously the following week they play on Christmas Eve and they also play on New Year's Day. So a little bit of a wonky schedule this year, but that is what what's going on. We appreciate you so much. If you have a few minutes and really only it takes about 30 seconds, we would really appreciate it uh, if you would consider leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to our podcast. It allows us to... Uh, get the proper feedback that we need, and obviously uh, continue to to bring you daily content on all things Ravens. So, partner, anything more from you before we close out? I just say we will have a guest on our post game analysis show after uh, Ravens Browns. Kadri Ishmael says he's got some things to get off his chest. He wants some clear wants to clear the air on a couple of things. Uh, he's been having a couple of Twitter battles there, so. He is asked to come on here to clear the air, which so we will do that at some point. We'll definitely review the game and then let him talk a little bit there. So we will have him as a special guest. Okay, yeah, he'll clear the air. Or we'll clear the runway for him. We love Q and uh, I think Low Key's become a daily listener of the vault. So we don't mind that either. But uh, we would love to hear from you as well with anything you have to say, questions wise, how you feel we're doing on a daily basis. Uh, and, and if you like the show or not, you can hit us up uh, by email at BaltimoreRavensVault at gmail.com. And for my partner, Sarah Ellison, I'm Bobby Trossett signing off from this game preview episode. You'll next hear from us in our instant reaction coming up after Ravens-Browns. Ah!